Hi, I'm Rick Atkins, pastor here at CFCC. Welcome. We hope you enjoy this sermon and that God uses it to grow you in your relationship with Him. Before we get started, our goal is not to replace your investment in a local church with online content. We were made for community. We want to encourage you to engage in a local church with your gifts. See, when the people of God invest in the community of God, they experience the transformative power of God. And that is our hope and prayer for you. Again, thanks for joining us and we hope you enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Man, it's so good to see you guys this morning. Let me say welcome to all of you joining us online as we are in week three of our series, Be an Example, where we are studying through one verse, 1 Timothy 4.12. So if you have a Bible, uh, would you go ahead and join me there, whether it's hard copy or uh, digital. 1 Timothy 4.12, if you're looking for it, uh, go to the, the back, towards the back in the middle, you'll find the New Testament, you find the book of Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, and then you'll find 1st Timothy. As you're turning there, let me say thank you. Your response and your involvement and participation in our For the Kingdom campaign is absolutely overwhelming and humbling, which I believed would happen. I had faith would happen, and it has happened, and it continues to happen, and many of you are continuing to um, join us in what God is calling us to, and, and as genuine and as sincere and as, as heartfelt as I can say it, thank you. Thank you for your trust in what God is doing here in the mission and the work that he has for us in the future, long after you and I are home with him. Many, I think, the multitudes, until Jesus comes back, will continue to hear the gospel and respond and come home with us. And so thank you. Uh, we are starting this journey together, and I look forward to what God has uh, in the future. So 1 Timothy 4.12. Last week, Pastor Tyler, uh, over the last couple of weeks, Pastor Tyler's covered more or less an overall understanding of the text. And then last week, he looked at the first instruction, which was uh, about our speech, how we talk to one another. Uh, today we continue with being an example in how we live, our conduct and our actions. And so you could say our actions need to match what we learned last week, right? It needs to match our words, to set an example in and through our lives in our godly living, which means not just in how we speak, not just in what we do, but in the decisions that we make, which then are flow outward into actions, right? This whole text is about this principle of our life as a disciple. And so let's, re let's review this key verse, um, our primary verse for this series, 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul writes, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And today we look at the second one in conduct, which is closely tied, obviously, to last week in word, and it's going to be tied to what we look at in the coming weeks. So when we survey scripture, we read this commandment of being an example repeatedly. It's throughout the scriptures. We read the principle of how a disciple is to live, how a disciple of Christ is to speak, where those parts of our lives are the flow from, which we'll again get into in the rest of this series. And not only that, we observe it uh, throughout the lives of different biblical characters, different people throughout scripture, Nehemiah being one of them, which we just finished uh, studying through his book in the Old Testament a couple weeks ago. This is throughout. This is something that 
that is pressed into us as a Christian, if you're a believer in Christ and you study Scripture, you'll find this throughout all of Scripture, this, this commandment, this prescription of our life to be an example in how we now are being transformed by the gospel, which produces words and actions. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you heard these words before? Do as I say, not as I do. How many of you have said that to others before? Good confession. Good, good. We're in church. It's good. It's all right. I think we've all heard it, right? At one time, we've all maybe even said it at one time. Sometimes we've said it as parents to children. Um, maybe not the actual words. Maybe it's just the attitude behind them. And what we've what we've learned, and maybe if we're still confessing our own, in our own lives, when this attitude is adopted, this do as I say, not as I do, it's hard to respect that person, right? Because it's what? It's hypocritical. It's hypocritical to say one thing and do another. In fact, it's one of the greatest arguments against Christianity, isn't it? It's what we see out there. Well, you say this, but your actions, your life doesn't match that. When a person's actions don't match the words, we lack integrity. And when a person lacks integrity, we lose credibility. We do not trust or respect people who say, you know, do as I say, not as I do. The Bible always connects our words with our actions, just as Paul says to Timothy, his instruction to Timothy, and in quite a few other places. In fact, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. You can write some of these down if you want. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. 1 Thessalonians 1.6. 1. Philippians 3.17 and 18. Titus 2.7, even Peter in 1 Peter 5.3 talks about how our actions and our words are to come together. So Paul is telling Timothy, in all things, your words, your actions, they need to align with the gospel that has saved you and that has set you free. So one without the other is not the example that we are to be setting. Well, I understand the famous line, actions speak louder than words. You ever heard that? Actions speak louder than words. I believe we should amend it to actions and words aligned are the loudest of all. It's when they see our words and our actions come together, aligned together, walking what we're talking, is when we have the greatest influence, which is the example we are to be setting. And we see this, most importantly, into, I believe, the greatest degree in the life of Jesus Christ. In order to be an example, you have to see an example, right? In order to have an example, you have to have an example in our lives in order to be an example. And it has to be the right example, which is what Paul was for Timothy, as he pointed out in, again in his other letters. He said, imitate me. And he didn't finish there. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus. And there are many places in Scripture we could turn to learn about our Christian conduct, our Christian life. I could give you a list of, of imperatives, commands that Scripture gives to the Christian, the expectation that God has upon the Christian through the outflowing of the Holy Spirit's work in his life in that, in that coming together. There is a whole list we could do, but what I'd like to do is to go to Jesus' words and learn about our conduct from maybe a different angle than you might have expected. See, in my time in ministry, and really even before ministry, where I've seen the most impactful moments of influence of a disciple's life in the lives of others is when they walk through storms. 
when they walk through challenges, when they walk through difficulties. And Jesus speaks to our conduct, to our life, and where it is to flow from in those very moments in Matthew chapter 7. So if you would, join me, go back a few books from 1 Timothy, back to the beginning of the New Testament, the first gospel, Matthew chapter 7. He's going to speak to what our example is to be and where it is to come from. And I think we'll all relate to this because we all relate to facing storms in life. Let me give you a little bit of background of Matthew 7. It's the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Matthew 5 through 7 was the greatest, longest and greatest, easily the best sermon ever given to mankind. Jesus describes what the characteristics and life actions of a disciple would be. And the opposition would come to those who lived out those very things in their life, those traits. In Matthew 7, verse 13, he's calling all that hear him to enter the kingdom, to start doing, not simply admiring the kingdom, to walk in the way of the Lord, to start following in action. Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Jesus speaks about a false prophet warning, don't be deceived by the world which is observed in their action. That's where he connects the fig tree, right? And, and that you, you're known by your fruit. So, so again, it, it comes back to our actions, our conduct, our life. Don't be deceived by, by those who don't have the same action that their words or their life says. Matthew 7 through uh, 21 through 23, he speaks a, a false profession warning, which is to me one of the scariest verses and texts in Scripture. It's the one where we pause and we introspect and we really look at God's work and our trust in God's work in our lives where he talks about you're saying it with your lips, but you're denying it with your heart, with your lives. And then we get to this, what I would consider a mini parable as he wraps up. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Verse 27. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Luke records in Luke's gospel and his narrative of Christ's ministry here on earth about this parable in, in Luke 6 verse 47 he says everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them I will show you what he is like the conduct of a Christian will have this result is what Jesus is saying and so what I want to show you in this text in Matthew 7 is kind of three focus points there's a compare and contrast here right Here's the comparison. Number one, they both had the same vision. Look at verse 24 and look at verse 26. In verse 24, Jesus says, man who built his house. In verse 26, he says, man who built his house. So, so what we understand there in this parable, they both wanted to build a house, meaning they both had desires and they both had dreams and they both had longings and they were the same. They wanted to build a life. 
a life worth living, a significant life, a lasting legacy. They both wanted to build a family that was vibrant, strong, all of those things. Each of us, I think, all of us, as, as we really understand our lives, are building a life in some way or another. And I want to believe that most or all of us want to build a life that's God-honoring, that's God-glorifying, that's kingdom-influencing, which again is what led us into where we're at now with our expansion, to be a kingdom influence to those around us. And looking back on our lives, we want to be proud of what God allowed us to be a part of, what God did in and through us, and the influence and the example that we set. In building our lives and families, I think we want one that's strong, that's committed, that's vibrant, that's engaged, an example to others. Because we all have influence. Be an example is always there. So we can see that we fit into this parable, is my point. The same vision, we see that we fit into this. We can see that we can relate to what is being said to us and what this truth that Jesus brings to us. Here's the second comparison, the same truth. Again, verses 24 and 26. In both of these verses, we see these words of mine. These words of mine. Everyone... Then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does, does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And what we see here is they both heard the truth, but not just any truth. They heard the divine truth from the truth, capital T. Jesus is truth. They heard the divine truth from the truth. And they were both oriented then to listening to the truth, to Jesus Christ. They can't say they didn't hear it or they didn't know it. They both heard it. Each of them were open to hearing the truth. There was no pushback. There was no, there was no like walking away or rejection. They were both listening to the truth. There's the same truth, which leads us to the third comparison. It's the same storm. Look at verses 25 and 27. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. Verse 27, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house. They faced the same storm. They lived in the same neighborhood, you could say. It's different from here. How many people are new to the area? Anybody new to Myrtle Beach just recently? And I don't know where you came from, but in Myrtle Beach, when we moved here, I experienced a weather phenomenon that I'd never experienced where it would rain on my house, but across the street, it wasn't raining. Anybody experience that in Myrtle Beach or in this area? It's a weather phenomenon. It's it's a work of God. It's supernatural. How that happens, I don't know. Reminds me of a cartoon where a little storm cloud just follows you around. But here, in these two, it's the same storm. The description of the storm is identical in the two verses. We could say they live maybe near each other. And here's the truth. Every one of us is affected by a storm. Us here, those watching. We're all affected by a storm, by the fallen, broken, negative realities of life. We all experience it. At one point or another, we're either either in the storm, we're going into a storm, or we're coming out of a storm. That's just, that's something that we all can get on board with. May not be the same storm. But again, the thing that's true for all of us is we, we know what it feels like to get rained on and wind battered. Over the last few years, we've all experienced 
a global storm, if you will, that affected every person in some way or another. Life is not always a cloudless, sunny day. It's not always perfect and exciting. And I know you know this. I know we could sit down and, and share all those times where it wasn't beautiful. It has its moments of tears and thunder and lightning. That's why we all fit here. And again, these, these two... As Jesus is teaching us through this parable, they want to build something that lasts. It's an example for others. Family, friends, and especially when we face storms. But with the comparison, we have a contrast, though. Let me show you the contrast. Number one, different characters. Go back to verses 24 and 26. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The first man was wise. The second man was foolish. And the Greek word for foolish here is where we get our word moron. One is viewed as a wise man who wants to build something of a legacy, having be an example to others. And how they live through the storms and the things that come against them. They, they want to gain spiritual training from wisdom, right? Because they listen to the truth, right? And they want to be wise throughout the storm. The other view is viewed, though, as foolish in all instances. And, and listen, this isn't you and, I, you and I making this comparison or contrast. This isn't you and I describing them by our observation. This is Jesus, the creator, showing us this. Wisdom, as defined by Scripture, is the ability to take divine truth and apply it to all of life. So the fool is not the person who lacks information or truth, but the one who has the truth or information divine and does little or nothing with it. Proverbs teaches a lot about the one who hears but does not do. James says faith is truth and obedience. Our example is to hear... Again, he's our, Jesus is our example. We have to have an example to be an example. Is to hear, learn, grow, and then speak and do. So on the outside, these men will look almost identical. But by Jesus' description, they're very different. Here's the second contrast. Different foundations. Verse 24 and 26 again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. This is the fundamental difference between the two that set the tone of why Jesus told it. The wise man built his life on the rock. The foolish man built his life on the sand. While, so while they had the same vision and they had the same truth and they faced the same storm, they did not have the same foundation. Our example that we are called to be as we've been given in Scripture and as Paul told Timothy comes from our foundation. In Luke's recording of this story, it says the wise man dug deep. It costs to build on the rock. This is the example to the others. Where do we dig? Luke 6, 48, he says, He is like a man building a house 
Again, this is Luke recording what Jesus was teaching. Who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. To build on the rock is hard work. To build on the sand takes little time. The difference here is that the second man building on the sand was building for show, to be seen. The man building on the rock was building to last. The fool was about the drive-by. The wise was about the depth. A life not properly founded and built on the right foundation eventually falls. That's a big truth for us. A life not properly founded and built on the right foundation eventually falls. Here's the third contrast. Different results. Verses 25 and 27. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. One withstood the storms because of the proper foundation, the rock, hearing and doing. And when we hear and then we do our talk, our conduct, we are the examples we are an example to others. One fell and it didn't just fall, didn't just topple over, but it says, it was, Jesus says it was a great fall. Great was the fall of it. It was a total collapse. I'll point out another perspective here. If you were to drive by the two houses in that neighborhood, you would never see the difference. If you were to talk to the two Men, the people in this parable, you may not notice a difference when you talk to them. The only time the difference is seen is when the storms came. It's when the storms came. Only the storm reveals the nature of our foundation. How we act, what we say in the storm. It's a great opportunity. It's a great chance to be the example. That's why Jesus says our example needs to be founded on Him, the rock. On his truth, then we can be an example. Our life, our conduct, and the way we handle, the way we walk through, the decisions we make in the storm when people are watching us deal with the storm is our time to be the example. See, as long as the sky is clear, we may not think that what we were building on, we not think about it. But I know in talking to many and experiencing in my own life, when the storm comes, it has this divine way of letting us know our foundation. Do you also see that the storm came to both? Did you notice that? Probably. But the storm came to both. Notice what Jesus, I mean, the wise man trusting in Jesus, the foolish man wasn't, still came to both. Coming to Jesus does not remove us from the storm, is my point. Jesus says that. Coming to Jesus gives us the foundation, though, to withstand the storm and show others how to withstand the storm, to be an example. He does that work in us to do that work through us. It's what Paul was saying to Timothy. You are going to be an example. Let this be your example, your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity, these things, which are founded on Christ. Storms come to all of us, and my question is, what's your anchor point? What is your anchor point? That's what we should be focused on, not the storm. 
And I know that's hard. I get it. That's difficult. But when we're anchored in Christ, then we can be the example to others that we made it through. We made it through the storm in the valley to the other side. One day there will be no more storms. I want to show you another storm story in Scripture. If you'll flip over just one book, Matthew, then to Mark. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. I love this story. Mark writes, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, meaning Jesus, Let us go across to the other side. Verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. Verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Verse 40, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The disciples are in a storm, and Jesus is asleep. They're facing difficulty. Jesus is asleep. They were terrified of dying, and Jesus is snoozing on a cushion. What good is having a God who goes to sleep in your time of need? Has that ever happened to you? You ever felt like that? You ever been in one of those moments where you felt like the storm's just crashing, and at any moment you're done, and you're going under, and you wonder, where's God? Verse 38. Their trust in Jesus was in jeopardy, right? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Their theology of who he was in their crisis was being challenged. Do you ever feel that way when you're in the storm? Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm facing this? Don't you care that I'm in this? Do you even care that I may perish? Verse 39, he awoke. He responds to their cries, peace, be still. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why he doesn't, why he doesn't say storm, be still? Then look at the promise. The promise is actually at the beginning. Verse 35. Look at what Jesus said to them in verse 35. Let us go across to the other side. Did you catch it? Let us. He told them already that they all were going. Jesus doesn't lie. See, storms have a way of causing us to forget what the Lord has said. Causing us to forget what truth God has spoken to us. Maybe at times causing us to lose our example. Storms have a way of keeping us from applying in the storm what we learn in the calm. Their problem was not hearing the truth. See, they heard him say, let us go to the other side. Their problem was applying the truth in a bad situation. Verse 40, Jesus questions, why are you still afraid? Have you still no faith? He asked him, why are you afraid? 
What's he doing? He's pushing them. He's nudging them back to what? To standing on the rock again. No matter what, you stand with me. And when you're with me, I'm with you. Stand on the promises of God, the steadfast love and faithfulness and mercy and goodness. Where are we standing? Where are you and your family standing? What are you standing on? And if it's not on Christ, would you come home today? Would you respond to Christ's invitation to come and trust and stand on a rock that is immovable and that lasts forever? That's the invitation he gives to everyone, to respond to his invitation to come home, to trust and believe, repent, and come home. Maybe you have stopped being reminded of or even believing in some of the promises that he's given. Jesus said he'll never leave us nor forsake us, just like he did with the disciples here. Maybe we need to be reminded of that. I'm going to finish with a, a story that I read over the last couple of weeks that really caught my attention. In the summer of 1805, a number of Indian chiefs and warriors met in council at Buffalo Creek, New York to hear a presentation of the Christian message by Mr. Cram from the Boston Missionary Society. After the sermon, a response was given by Red Jacket, one of the leading chiefs. Among other things, the chief said, Brother, you say that there is but one way to worship and serve the Great Spirit, Great Spirit being capitalized. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Why not all agree as you can all read the book? He goes on to say, Brother, we are told that you have been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find that it does them good, it makes them honest and less disposed to cheat Indians, we will then consider again of what you have said. What, what if everyone waited to see what effect our faith in Jesus had on us before they decided to respond to it? How many people would be influenced by our example of our faith based on them observing the difference and transformation it's made in our own lives? What do they watch? Like Chief Red Jacket, they watch to see if our behavior matches our belief. They watch to see if our walk matches our talk. They watch to see if our character matches our confession. If what we claim to believe on Sunday is put into practice on Monday, in a word, they watch to see if we have integrity. How about us? If they're watching us, what are they seeing? My hope and my prayer is that each one of us, as we are seen, are the example, are the example, not perfect, faithful, and being the example because we hold firm to Christ and we trust in his goodness in all of our lives. That's, that's church, I believe, how we shine bright. I believe that's how we become a lighthouse to the world around us, and that our light becomes brighter as the conduct of our life is for the glory of King Jesus no matter what. Let's pray. Father, God, thank you. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we face.
no matter what storm or challenge or hurt or loss or betrayal, no matter what, for those who have trusted in you and believed on you as Savior and Lord. We don't, we don't go through that. We don't go through it alone. We don't go through it without a clarity that a broken world can't have. We go through it trusting, holding on, being held, knowing who you are. And God, may that be a moment where pain is not wasted, but an example is made so that others around can see that they don't have to face the storms by themselves. They don't have to be isolated or alone, that they, they can know and be with you and trust that you will get them to the other side because like you told the disciples, all of us are going to the other side, which is the hope and the promise of the gospel as we believe in you. All of us are going home. And God, and I pray that if there's someone in this room or watching online that they know the promise that comes through repentance and faith in Jesus. They too are going home. And if they don't, may this be the moment the Holy Spirit illuminates and enlightens their life to respond to the gospel message, to believe and to trust, to confess and to experience grace. be made new God may we be an example may our church be an example continue to make us into the lighthouse for your kingdom we pray in Jesus name